If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, informative and hopefully engaging. That's me, Rick Munn, on TNT, today's News Talk. Uh, We're live this morning, as we always are, beaming out of the Gold Coast in Australia. And a lot uh, to cover here in the next, what, 56 minutes on Locked and Loaded. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Gemma Cooper. I'm going to be talking to Stephen Kelly. I'm going to be talking to Tony Gosling. And I'm going to be talking to Matthew Edgar, not one, not two, but three guests and Gemma Cooper and me all squeezed into the next 55 minutes. Is it possible to do that? Well, you're going to find out by the time 11 a.m. UK time rolls around if we've been successful in delivering said product. And of course we will because we get things done here on TNT. That's what we do. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing and whatever you're doing, we hope it's nice. We're hoping you're enjoying the output here this morning. And of course, you can leave messages for us in our live chat, which is tntradio.live. You can go onto the website, leave your thoughts, comments, opinions, links, etc. I am going to have to be honest with you. I am finding it very difficult to dip in and out of the live chat the way I used to uh, during uh, the, the, the radio only or the audio only days, simply because we have so much going on at the minute. But I do check the chat usually after the show. I know it's a little bit late, but I just want to acknowledge everyone that leaves comments in there. And I did notice a lot of people leaving messages concerning the XL bully stories that we were covering with Natalie earlier on uh, this morning. So thank you very much for everyone for all your input into that one as well. We do, of course, have an app that's available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. If you just search for TNT, Today's News Talk, you'll be able to find it there. And of course, you can listen to us live on all the major streaming platforms on uh, BitChute and Odyssey, uh, YouTube. And of course, we have a little widget on our home screen on the website, and you'll be able to watch the YouTube stream live there or listen audio only. It's up to you. It is your decision. So a lot to cover off here this morning. Uh, There's a lot happening in Germany at the minute. Germany's bubbling at the moment the same way the Netherlands did last year, all to do with farmers. And I mentioned a quote yesterday about how uh, fascism and communism, they want to take control of food supplies because if you can control the food supply to a country, you control the people within that country. So Germany at the moment, A lot of protests uh, are arranged for Germany. Uh, Multiple farmers associations, uh, the train drivers union, the trucking industry have announced that they will be mobilizing against the federal government's plans in Germany to cancel agricultural diesel, cut vehicle tax exemptions and increase truck tolls and apply carbon taxes. There are countless calls on social media for a general strike against the federal German government demanding that they step down. Uh, There is no doubt that if all of these sectors hold their ground and do not back down as a result of the establishment's intimidation tactics, they have the power to completely paralyze the country and finally demand change. So this happened last year in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, Ireland's under the cosh at the minute as well, farmers-wise, and now 
the Germans are going to take to the streets and to the highways and byways as mass protest to try and bring down the federal government. And one of the things that I've tried to advocate all along is, of course, uh, peaceful non-compliance with any government edicts and striking if we can get people to strike en masse and literally bring the country to a halt, that is one thing that governments cannot ignore. So there's massive strike action being called for here uh, in Germany uh, over the next week or so to bring the federal government down. And it is, listen, if they succeed in what they're doing and they apply what they're going to do, it will be a cataclysmic for Germany and, of course, then other countries in Europe could well follow suit. So I would say all eyes shall be in Germany over the next few weeks as these protests and these strikes are brought into place. And of course, we will be looking there for favorable outcomes for the people that are the freedom fighters and the, the libertarians that are taking to the streets to defend their own freedom and their own liberties, which is something that we, of course, advocate here on TNT. Today's News Talk, and we'll be right back. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture. They always have great conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, it's hard to believe that roughly two years ago, uh, we were, well, the, the eyes of the world was on Ottawa. If you can remember that far back, uh, the January and February of 2022, when the infamous Canadian truckers protest happened, you remember these huge convoys of trucks uh, descended on Ottawa against Justin Trudeau's uh, fascist regime in Canada because of their lockdowns and, you know, the draconian measures that were brought in during the so-called COVID pandemic. Uh, that took root right across Europe as well. There was a lot of freedom convoys happened there. And then, of course, last year with these Dutch uh, farmers protesting, now this year it's Germany. Could we be beginning to you think, see, uh, you know, a wave starting to happen here? You know, the ripple effect starting to spread across Europe when people realize if the government do get their way, it's going to be extremely bad news for the like of you and me. Yeah, I mean, the wave, I think, has already started. I think it started two years ago with the Canadian truckers who were just an inspiration to so many. And I, I, I will wager that many of those truckers were not uh, awakened at the same time. I think when you are, when there's something directly impacts on you and your ability to earn a living and pay for your family, and also when it is something like farming or trucking, you know, which is like such a, a massive way that so many thousands of people make their living, you suddenly think, hang on a minute, something's going on here. Whereas you may have bought the narrative that there was a virus, when you can see the government policies directly affecting you, you have your awakening moment. You can see through the lies and you think this isn't right. Um, and that wave has continued ever since. And I'm sure that the Dutch farmers were directly inspired by the Canadian truckers and, and the same with, with Germany. And that is the only language governments understand because this is a massive issue. Like you say, you control the means of food production as all the elites are so keen to do, get us to eat the bugs, um, buying up great swathes of farmland they know it they know it and because when people are hungry or, or malnourished they are you're desperate and desperate times often lead to desperate measures and that they they completely understand all of that and even the fear of food scarcity which they like to pump into us because of you know climate change all of that you know the weather's going to lead to food shortages it plants that seed of fear into people's minds which also leads them to behave as we saw in the last four years in manners which they would never have behaved normally but when you make people frightened again, they get desperate and they do they do things like snitch on your neighbors and turn against friends and family for not obeying the rules. So, yeah, I, I'm all with anyone who takes to the streets. I've taken to the streets myself. I never thought I'd do yeah. that in my lifetime. I've always been quite sort of mild mannered. But no, 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 I've been galvanized the last four years and millions, if not billions of others have. Long may it continue. Yeah, it's 
Isn't it interesting though that a lot of people that would have never taken the streets? I mean, I, I was I attended quite a few of the Belfast uh, freedom protests that happened around about uh, two years ago as well. Uh, you know, eighteen months to two years ago as well. They were very effective in getting the point across. And there's one thing I think these governments fear most, Gemma, is that people start to take to the streets rather than take to social media. So they've tried to silence us online, you know, they've banned people's accounts, you know, they've, they've brought in rules and regulations with regards to Ofcom. But one thing that they can't literally stop people doing is getting their boots on and getting out there into the streets. And even recently, uh, when you were in Clanetley, uh, you saw results as a result of people taking to the streets there as well. It is the most effective way to bring about change without a shadow of a doubt is to get your boots on and get out there. It is. And we're, I, I, I'm always saying this to you, Rick, we're, we're a similar age. And so you will remember uh, the poll tax riots yes. here in the 1980s and early 90s, where, where millions of people took to the streets and said, we're not paying Thatcher's tax. And they did reverse it. And they brought in something quite similar, but it wasn't what they wanted to bring in. And that's because those protests just did not stop. Um, and, and I think, yeah, the, the 80s especially was a time of real activism in this country. But then, you know, did, what, did leaders stop listening? Because if you think, of the Iraq war that a million people took to the streets of London to say to Tony Blair, don't take us into an illegal war. He did anyway. He was like, I don't care what mm -hmm. you think. It's only the electorate. Mm -hmm. What do we care what a million people think? Um, did yeah. ha Have they stopped listening and they're just pushing ahead with their globalist agenda regardless because they're so desperate for it to come in? Or if enough of us just keep on pushing? I mean, I'd say the NHS 100K is a classic example of, um, mm -hmm. you know, they had to drop the mask mandates, the, the jab mandate, sorry, for the mm -hmm. NHS workers because they wouldn't have had any staff at all. Um, so right. that was a that was a classic example of collective power. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's tiring. It's exhausting. It takes it out of you. We're in a war, but it's a war we want to win. Um, and, and action is the only way to do that. I think the freedom protests in London actually were a great uh, influencer in vaccine passports being dropped here in this country. I agree. Isn't it crazy the way we're talking about this now? And it, it happened two years ago, but we're still embroiled in the same war against these same people. They are just like dogs with bones in their mouths. They just won't let go of this desire to crush our liberty and our freedom and take away any type of fun and enjoyment from our lives. But hell, they're not going to succeed in doing it as long as we have strength in our bodies. Now, uh, you have a story for us here this morning. Uh, it's a little bit close to home for me to do with uh, troubles, uh, pensions, about people dying before they even get payouts. Uh, what's, the, what's the lowdown in this one? Well, I've just seen this story this morning and it's got echoes of the story that you and Natalie and Tony, I think your guest name was, are talking about in the, the last hour, which is the post office scandal. Um, with that, you've got... Uh, victims of that four years on, that awful miscarriage of justice, are still waiting for their compensation payouts from the government, even though they won their high court case, which they had to bring themselves. This is about people who were affected by the troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, mm -hmm. IRA bombings, and uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, the government launched something called the Troubles Victim Pension Scheme. It opened in August 2021. This pension scheme offers payments to those who suffered physical or psychological injuries in the troubles in Northern Ireland, which went on, as you know, Rick, for decades decades. Um, now, more than 6,200 applications have been lodged since this scheme opened in 2021. Decisions have been made on 955, which is not a, a great deal when you consider more than 6,000 applications lodged. But the shocking figure is more than 40 people have died waiting for their application decision to be made. So they've never ever seen if, if their application for compensation effectively 
has has got through. Now, the board that administers the fund says it prioritizes applications from terminally ill and older people, um, and it has paid out nearly £32 million so far. So there is recognition of how badly people suffered during the troubles. But they have said the process is complex, and unfortunately, the passage of time makes certain records difficult or impossible to, to retrieve. Well, that's no help to the 43 people. Actually, it's 43 people that have died since lodging their application. Um, there's a couple of case studies, actually. A 60-year-old man whose leg was blown off after an IRA car bomb was under, planted underneath his car said he's still waiting now. It's the completely re-traumatised him. He's had to relive the ordeal all over again and again as he talks to the board who administer these funds. Uh, he says he's mentally damaged once more by having to go over all this. There's a 75 five-year-old man who lost three brothers in 1976 in a paramilitary gun attack. He said the process is frustratingly slow. He submitted his application as soon as the scheme opened in August 2021. He is still waiting. Now, you know, it's an indication, I think, much like the post office scheme, uh, because the post office was owned by the government at the time of that miscarriage of justice. They are waiting for government compensation. This victim's pension scheme for people affected by the troubles is a government-administered compensation scheme. And they, I think they rely on the fact that people will die. Uh, with the post office scandal, uh, the, the lawyers for the um, people who are waiting for compensation say all the delays are coming from the lawyers on the government side. They're not coming from the side of the people waiting. It's all the government yeah. lawyers going, well, we need to check this. We need to check that. I think they are relying on the fact people will die or that people will give up the fight and, and they won't have to pay out vast vast sums of money in both cases. And I think it's another indication, Rick, of why we need to keep fighting. Because if you don't, if you roll over, the government will trample all over you. And that applies to everything. But especially here where money is concerned, money is concerned in both these cases. And, you know, the troubles dominated the news when I was a youngster and they, they right yep. up until the peace agreement was signed. So people do deserve this money and they're still waiting. It's a travesty. Yeah, I think the government are playing the waiting game. The troubles over here ran from 69 to 1994. So technically speaking, they stopped, you know, what, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, however, the people now that are looking for compensation are well advanced in years. And you know what, Gemma, there was thousands upon thousands of people murdered and killed during the troubles here. Tens upon tens of thousands of people were maimed. And uh, I don't know how many people uh, have had PTSD as a result of it. I don't think anybody knows anybody in Northern Ireland who wasn't affected directly or indirectly by the trouble. So the scale of this is crazy. And here we're talking about 40 people that have over 40 people that have actually lost their lives while they're waiting for this compensation. Maybe these are events that happened back in the 70s. Some of these events are happening back in the 70s. That's 50 odd years ago. And they're still waiting for some kind of uh, compensatory payment. And again, the government maybe are playing that waiting game. Well, if we just hold on for long enough, they're maybe going to be dead soon. They must be in their late 70s, possibly in their 80s. So they couldn't have too much time left. It's a sick state of affairs. And let's hope some more of these people do get uh, what's due to them before they do kick their uh, kick the clogs off uh, and pass off this mortal coil. But like everything else, uh, Gemma, time time will tell with this one. But many thanks to you for highlighting that. Uh, you're going to be uh, off tomorrow, so I hope you have a nice day away wherever you're going, whatever you're planning to do. That's the wonderful Gemma Cooper. I'll be back after this short break with Stephen Kelly from uh, Sydney in Australia. So please don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 
6,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media, like Telegram, who have reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, this is TNT, today's news talk. And today I'm going to be talking about the news with my first ever guest on Locked and Loaded. A whole two years ago, almost, uh, he first appeared on TNT on the 17th of January, 2022. And he's still coming back for punishment two years later. Mr. Stephen Kelly from Sydney, Tony Nicholas, AFL Solicitors. How are you doing this morning? Good, Rick. Thanks for um, thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, I can't believe uh, uh, it was two years ago. Gee, time's flying. So. Oh man, it's insane. Uh, I was reflecting there with Gemma just before you came on. Just we're talking yeah. about Canadian truckers, where we're talking about even the war in Ukraine. It's two years old now as well. You remember all those Ottawa Freedom protests, all the crazy lockdowns that were happening. You losing your job uh, as a police officer of nearly thirty years' experience in New South Wales Police. That's about two years ago. Three years ago now as well where's the time going it's going too quick um i don't know where it's gone to be honest um but um in in terms of uh you know where we started two years ago not much has changed in terms of um, um those those that have lost their jobs getting back to work which is a shame particularly for police so um yeah there's still a long way to go isn't there there, there is. Uh, strangely, a lot of the things that we were saying, Stephen, two years ago, of course, brand, got us branded uh, by the mainstream media as right-wing, uh, anti-government conspiracists, where we're claiming there really wasn't any global pandemic. We were telling people that, you know, masking was useless. And as it seems over the course of the last two years, we've been vindicated somehow because the evidence is now coming out to prove that the things that we were talking about, that we were maligned for, are now actually proving to be true. Now, I'm going to give you an instance from Ireland here, but it applies just as well to the things that you've been saying over in Australia. Uh, RTE, which is Ireland's state broadcaster, 
uh, published the story this week. This week, and this is what they said, Ireland had no excess deaths during the core pandemic years of 2020 to 2022, the Department of Health has said, citing new research. This is a working paper for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, showing Ireland was one of nine countries that avoided all excess deaths, including uh, New Zealand, Iceland, and Norway. So basically what they're saying is, Stephen, during the so-called deadliest pandemic to sweep the earth for 100 years since the Spanish flu, Ireland didn't actually see any uptake in deaths at all. There were no excess deaths whatsoever, which of course would lead us to question, a huge question mark over whether there was ever any pandemic to begin with. Now, we would have been banned or possibly prosecuted for saying things like that two years ago. Now we have the Irish government coming out and saying, hey, we didn't actually have a problem at all. How does that make you feel after all the grief you've been through over the last two years? Well, <laughs> I think we know that they uh you know, uh, there, there was a pandemic of certainly fear uh, created, uh, but the, the reality was that uh, there was no real pandemic, was there, Rick, in the sense that, uh, you know, that COVID uh, was uh, killing uh, and uh, uh, causing uh, the uh, the injuries to all the people on the, uh, the scale that they said. But, the, you know, those figures do surprise me. I don't know whether, the, you know, this is an attempt to try and cover up the uh, the excess deaths that have um, come about as a result of the um, the implementation of the uh, the vaccines. But uh, certainly uh, those statistics certainly don't seem to, to ring true with uh, what we know and what we're hearing in relation to uh, yeah. the real reports. Well, again, it's a strange thing, Stephen, because now we're focused on telling the world that there's an excess deaths problem after the so-called pandemic, because Ireland admitted they didn't have any excess deaths at all during the pandemic, but now they're up by 15, 20% after the pandemic. And you have to ask the question, well, what has happened in the world since the so-called pandemic? And of course, it was the massive rollout of these uh, jobs. Now, you guys uh, at AFL Solicitors, you're covering a lot of cases for people that wrongfully lost their jobs because they didn't take these jobs. You can testify to this yourself. Uh, you lost, well, you didn't lose your job. Uh, you, 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 you quit effectively or you were sacked because you wouldn't comply with vaccine mandates, despite the fact that that was your living. Now we have more people becoming more verbal about this. Uh, Joe Rogan, I'm sure you know as a podcaster, love him or hate him, has a huge platform, probably the biggest podcast in, in the world. He had a guy on this week called Tony Hinchliffe. And basically what they were saying was, uh, it's two and a half years now since 2020, and there's a massive uptake in excessive deaths. Are people in an effing trance? Those were his words. He said, you can't say this or you're now labeled a conspiracy theorist. These people are in an effing trance because being on the side of reality and facts is against the narrative they are willing to ignore reality and facts. Could we be talking in two years from now, do you think, and the government will actually be coming out and saying, well, you know what? There was a huge amount of people died excessively as a result of the jabs, the same way as they're saying now in Ireland. Actually, nobody did die excessively during the scandemic. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, the next 12 months is certainly going to, to uh, give an indication as to, to whether the reality of, um, you know, what we know uh, will result in further progress in, in more people being uh acutely awake as to, to what's gone on 
and accepting the the reality that uh, of the link between uh, all these excess deaths, and and not to mention the the the, the number of injuries, which would be far uh, more significant too, that are connected uh, with the uh, the vaccines. But I, you know, I I was interestingly, Rick. Uh, just uh, before Christmas last year, I was talking to a, a police officer at, at court that had told me that uh, as soon as he had the uh, the vaccine, he had severe headaches and ended up having to go to hospital and it was discovered he had cysts on the brain. So, mm. I mean, these are things uh, that, that uh, but he certainly believed there was a connection between taking the vaccine and uh, uh, that, that um, um, diagnosis of uh, mm. what happened to him. Um, and I wonder how many other cases there are of uh, similar incidents that are just not officially being reported. And, uh, you know, uh, but it doesn't surprise me. Everything I hear day in, day out seems to vindicate the uh, the position that I've taken and, and many others too, that, uh, um, you know, that we were misled and lied to in relation to the safety and effectiveness of, of these uh, these vaccines. In Australia now, we're up to, I think, what, the seventh shot, you know. Originally That's insane. Insane. Yeah, uh, you, uh, you know what, Stephen? On reflection, uh, because we've got a we've got a full time in this one now. But you've been coming on here for two years. You were the first person I ever spoke to, and strangely enough, the first person I ever spoke to, we were talking about how you lost your job because you wouldn't comply with these vaccine mandates. And you know what? As bad as that was for you in terms of your career, and as bad as that was for you in terms of taking a financial hit, let me tell you this: I have also spoken to a lot of people on this show that did take the jabs to keep their jobs to keep a roof over their heads and they were hor horribly injured or they've lost, lost loved ones as a result of it. And it's a horrible place to be. You know, you've you've won in a way in that you've maintained your health, but you've suffered a lot in terms of your career and your finances. Other people kept their job and they kept the roof over their head, but maybe they're now they're struggling with chronic health issues that they're never going to get rid of for the rest of their lives. It's just an absolute crime. It's the crime of the, the century without any shadow of a doubt is what happened uh, to people over the last few years. And no doubt uh, we're going to keep getting results and hear more about the fallout of that over the next uh, few coming years. But I just want to give you a big thanks and also, of course, wish you a very, very happy new year to your good self, Mr. Stephen Kelly. You and I will stay in touch as we always do and hopefully we'll get you back on again sooner rather than later. Okay, so you go and enjoy the rest of your evening. That's Stephen Kelly. I'm Rick Munn and we'll be back after this short uh, news break with Matthew Edgar to talk about uh, the, the recent World Darts Championship in the UK. So please don't go away. This is TNT Today's News. <laughs> The news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The first batch of sealed court documents containing the names of dozens of people linked to deceased pedophile Jeffrey Epstein have been made public. The Israeli Defence Force is being sued over its actions during Hamas's October 7 attack on the Supernova Music Festival. And Russia and Ukraine have carried out a major prisoner swap, with each side releasing more than 200 captives, the exchange made possible by the United Arab Emirates. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio.
Okay, I'm really happy to be joined for the first time today. Some new blood on uh, Locked and Loaded by the one and only Matthew Edgar. Matthew is a dart player and a YouTuber and a commentator uh, for the PDC. And we're going to be talking about uh, somebody who's been causing quite a stir over the last few days in a, in a sport that's not really uh, paid a lot of attention in the mainstream media, which is darts. Uh, it's in and around this uh, chap, young lad called Luke Littler, who was in the World Darts Final uh, yesterday against Luke Humphrey. Sadly, he lost in that. But uh, Matthew, uh, I was a big fan of darts back in the heyday. I remember being a big fan of uh, Bobby George, Jockey Wilson, Eric Bristow, the old crafty Cockney, John Lowe, first person I think ever to do a nine dart checkout live on TV. Has darts uh, got the same level of presence as it has? I know there's maybe a little bit more money involved in it now, but uh, are we going to see a revisiting of the glory days, in my opinion, back in the in the 80s and the 90s, or what do you reckon? I think we're going to go beyond those days with what we've got coming up now and the sort of the media attention that you mentioned that is coming at the moment with darts off the back of what Luke Little has done. You've got to think this isn't just a first wave. This is a second wave that we've had because it wasn't too many years ago that Fallon Sherrick at her run at the World Championship and got some mainstream media attention on the sport. So this is kind of a second wave, but it's a bigger wave because when we look at the viewing figures that Luke Little has been pulling in terms of the Sky viewing, it's actually been numbers that we've never seen before in the sport. So it's going to be really exciting to see where it goes. We've got that Premier League selection coming out later on today at four o'clock. And I do think they're going to put Luke Littler in to see if we can keep this big wave of attention going. And I think he's going to bring a lot of eyes onto the sport, which is great for content creators like myself. Indeed it is. And uh, for those, I mean, I wasn't, I haven't followed darts the way I used to uh, back in the day. There was a lot of splits and a lot of new factions formed and, you know, different uh, championships were there. But this young lad is uh, 16 now. I must make a comment. I've seen a lot of photographs of him in social media. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, let me just say this, there's a lot of people landing in the UK at the minute from France in small boats. And when they jump off the boats, they're telling the customs people that, you know, they're 15 and 16 years of age. They look like they could be in their 30s and 40s. I must admit, I'm having difficulty uh, believing that Luke Littler is 16 years of age. I'm not saying that he's not, but let's just say this. He looks a little bit more mature than 16. Uh, what do you think? Have I got that totally wrong or do they just need, uh, they need to go to Specsavers? Have you seen the in-betweeners before? There's a scene in that, isn't there, where um, he's working in the garage and Wolf is like, oh, I'm 17. And he's like, oh, I'll just look older. He's like, there's looking older and there's that. That's the meme that's sort of been following Luke Little around the whole way throughout the World Championships. But I actually put a tweet out yesterday myself because I said the in-betweeners is sort of a really good look at the journey of Luke Littler. Before the World Championship started, I put, oh, my thread is going to be full with pictures of Wolfie as people see Luke Littler for the first time. But then yesterday, it sort of turned into a J with a completed it, mate sort of situation because he's absolutely rocked his way through the world championships on debut 16 years old i've done over 100 for the entire tournament it sort of started as that it started as jokes and it very very quickly turned into this isn't jokes this is a phenomenon not just in the world of darts but he's arguably one of the biggest names in sport right now is the favorite now installed to become the bbc sports personality of the year and when you look at what he's done, he's changed those sort of laughs and jokes to, oh my, we are watching a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Mm -hmm. 
And, and you know what? It's a good thing too. Uh, it's great when there's a buzz about because there's so much negativity and so much death and destruction dominating the news now. When when something like this, Matthew, comes along, it is a breath of fresh air and it could be inspirational for a whole new generation of younger people maybe to pick up the arrows and start investing a little bit of time doing something like that rather than, say, running the streets. It could be a good alternative uh, for a lot of youth in uh, you know areas of the UK that maybe need a little bit of uh, TLC, but Luke uh, has done well. He's only 16. Let me ask you this question. I know uh, some people have got a natural ability. And by the way, I have to give a big shout out to Dee Dee Denslow, Darren Denslow. He's a TNT uh, presenter as well. He's a massive darts fan and he's listening in at the minute too. So big shout out to you, Dee Dee. Uh, but how important is it, uh, for example, he's 16, he's reached the world finals, he you know, he, he was beaten yesterday, but I mean, the world's at his feet really. How much of his ability is natural talent? Because he couldn't have been practicing that long to get to the world finals at 16 when you think, uh, you know, some of the men that are there, you know, were in their 30s and their 40s, maybe their 50s. Is it a combination of just raw talent and obviously practice because you don't get that good without practice uh, or is he just a, a, a phenom is he, is he a once in a generation phenom you've touched on some really good points there I mean first of all talking about the dart players ages and saying about most of the players in the 40s and 50s we're getting a change in the guard now we're changing in the system with things like darts academies and things that are now being rolled out across the UK and in Europe now and they are getting very good attendance figures a very good sign of this yesterday was the fact that Luke Humphreys who's been a product of the PDC development tour taking on Luke Littler in the final a combined average age of 44. You know, right. that's what you expected would be the age of a dart player. And that's the combined age now of the two finalists. I think darts academies are going to be flooded and inundated with people wanting to take part now in those events. I think the idea of children wanting a pair of football boots for Christmas might turn into mom, dad, can I have a set of darts now? He's going to inspire generations and that is going to continue to be the case. That being said, rare talent. I've been around the game for many years. I've played it professionally for 11. I've been touring internationally for probably the best part about 15, 20 years. And I've seen them all. You know, everyone from Adrian Lewis, Stephen Bunting, Michael Van Gerwen. I was playing around the likes of Eric Bristow, Phil Taylor in their careers as well. And I've seen them all come at a young age. I've seen a lot of people come that are supposed to be the next big thing. Luke Littler is different. He is a generational talent. He's going to set records at, certainly at his age, that no one is ever going to be able to match. If we cast yeah, back I a year ago, he turned 16 and qualified for the UK Open a day after turning 16. People try for years to get into that event, and he just walked into it like it was nothing. He is sensational. Yeah, and 16, like, like think about it, what were you, what was I doing at 16? I certainly wasn't on the world stage uh, reaching the final of any major uh, championship, so massive credit to him. And of course, uh, Matthew, just as we wrap this one up, he may have lost yesterday, but he really hasn't lost at all. I think he, he, he's become a winner. Whether or not he won that title uh, yesterday is uh, neither here nor there. I think it's an inevitability that he will win a world championship probably uh, within the next year or two. Certainly, I would be surprised if he didn't. 
And it's very important, I think, that he keeps uh, a good group of people around him to keep him grounded. Because when you see young uh, sports stars, you think of Boris Becker. I think he was only 17 when he won Wimbledon. Or you think of Alex Higgins when he won the World Snooker Championship. He wasn't too old from Northern Ireland too. There can be a tendency to go off the rails a little bit. So let's hope he's got a good support and network around him of friends and family that'll keep him grounded and stop things going to his head. And maybe as the money starts to roll in, like George Best, he was once quoted famously saying, he said, I spent millions on women and drugs and I squandered the rest. So hopefully uh, that won't be the same with Luke Littler uh, coming down the line. I think an even better one for that comes within our own sport. Richie Bonetta, former world champion, when he got to the quarterfinal of the UK Open this year, said he's earned two fortunes, but he's spent three. And I thought, <laughs> what a fantastic way of putting it. And yeah, I think he's got the right team of people around him. The success will be there. I mean, I'm a big fan of professional wrestling. And they use a term in professional wrestling all the time as being over, where mm-hmm. it's sort of being in with the crowd. And I think that's kind of what we saw here with Luke Littler. He got over in defeat. And sometimes you don't need to win. It's not just all about the winner. And we could see that yesterday in the media attention. There was a lot of headlines that wasn't Luke Humphreys is the world champion. It was Luke Littler losers in the final. And I think that is really key to the future is progression. He's now the most followed dart player in the world. He's overtaken the likes of Phil Taylor and Michael Van Gerwen off the back of this one event just to really emphasise what he's achieved here. And that's why I think he will be in the Premier League. We'll get that announcement a bit later on. But there's going to be a lot, a lot of positive things coming for Luke Littler. And I do believe he's got a very supportive network around him. I've spent a lot of time with him in 2023 down at the Super Series when he was winning titles down here. And... He's always here with his family. They follow him everywhere. Very supportive parents, which is just what you need here because he's about to go into a world of sharks now and he's about to go on that pro tour. But he's going in there as one of the top 32 players in the world. And I would argue that that's incorrect. I think he's not one of the top 32 players in the world. I think he's arguably one of the top 16, maybe top eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and again, uh, for to, to, to achieve something like that, if you've never thrown darts in your life, I mean, it, they those guys make it look so simple. You know, they go up to the hockey, they, they, they plant them in there, they're getting 180s, they're doing uh, checkouts uh, galore. Uh, anyone that's never thrown a dart, uh, Matthew, I think you would agree, they don't appreciate the amount of talent and the amount of uh, practice that's required to be able to do that. And the mental arithmetic too, I remember back in the day, it was Tony Green would always have been uh, doing the uh, live commentary in the World Darts Championships. And he was like a, a, a calculator. He was doing the calculating what, what was needed and doing the mental arithmetic. So a lot has changed since back in the days. And the one thing that you highlighted too that I was surprised with, you said there that the combined age of the finalists uh, was 44 I think it was uh, you know when you have a look at 16 and the other chap uh, to bring up the balance back in the old days you had the like of Bobby George you'd have had Jockey Wilson you'd have had Eric Bristol those guys were all into their 30 you'd probably had a combined age of pushing 100 back then so the fact that it's more than halved I think is a good sign especially for the youth coming up uh, at this point in time the, the system's working. The, the system was put into place years ago now by Rod Harrington, who's now stepped away from the sport, who said that the use of future and without youth, we don't have a future and we don't have a sport. And the investment was put in there very heavily. This was around the time of Michael Smith and Michael Van Gerwen, Joe Cullen, people who was, it was, you know, they're playing the Pro Tour or you're playing the Super League. It's like, where can these players develop and where can they grow? Where can they get success? And Michael Van Gerwen puts a lot of his success down to the fact that he was able to play on the development tour, as it's now called, and have the opportunity to become a winner again. 
because Michael Van Gerwen couldn't win a game on the Pro Tour for quite some time and his confidence was shot. And he was one of the real first flagship bearers of that system. And we look at it now and it's just continuing to produce when we look at just a year ago, a player like Josh Rock was in this exact sort of same situation. Now, statistically, the ninth best player in the world. So yeah, really, really exciting. And it really does show that that system is working all the way down through from the PDC down to the JDC, where junior dart players are getting involved in the system now, getting involved from young ages. We're seeing people at nine, 10 years old. And maybe now this will give us that second wave to really develop the junior sport and follow some of those mainstream sports in the guidance that they have set to make sure that darts can continue to grow. You know, uh, just as we wrap this one up, uh, if anyone wants to con uh, connect with uh, Matthew here, he's on the X Twitter platform at the Edgar, T-H-E, Edgar 501. He also has a YouTube channel if you look up Matthew Edgar. One last question for you, Matthew. Could be a young person sitting listening to us today. You never know. Could be the next uh, Luke uh, Littler sitting listening to us today. And they're scratching their heads and going, well, I like the sound of this. I like the thought of picking up the arrows, but I thought it was always an old man's game in a pub. Where did they go or where's the best place for them to go to try and find a, an academy or somewhere that they can uh, learn darts from an early age without say going into you know an old smoky pub which was the old uh, you know stereotype of a darts player where's the best place for them to go if we're talking under 16 players the best place to look always is going to be the jdc the jdc world champion at the moment that's the under 16 world champion luke littler surprise surprise um but the JDC would be the place to go, find your local academies. And if you're over 16, you're then eligible to play on the PDC development tour up to the age of 23. So again, go check out the PDC, look at their calendar, uh, the PDPA, the Professional Dart Players Association. They will have all the information that you'll ever need in regards to taking up the sport and where to go. So another contact there, PDPA, they're available pdpa.co.uk. That's the Professional Dart Players Association. They look after all the players that take part on the development tour, challenge tours, pro tours, anything to do with getting into the PDC darts. Absolutely fantastic information there. And again, these uh, shows, if you're listening in live uh, and you missed some of that information, check out the upload on our website, tntradio.live or uh, on Spotify or Apple Music. This will be repeated and available uh, within 24 hours. You can listen back to that and get some information. Matthew, huge thanks to you for coming on this morning. Nice to get uh, someone on talking with passion about a sport that maybe people don't know a lot about. And that could be about to go into its ultimate boom years. Let's hope for that. And keep our fingers crossed. But big salute to you this morning. Thank you very much to Mr. Matthew Edgar for joining me and uh, all the best to Luke Littler for the future. Thank you very much uh, for that, Matthew. We've got to take a little break right now. And when we come back, fingers crossed, I'm going to be joined by Tony Gosling looking at some of the events that are happening in the Middle East. So please stay tuned for more of the same here on TNT, today's news talk. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has vetoed a bill that would protect Ohio's school children by banning boys from competing in girls' sports and banning genital mutilation under the guise of gender-affirming surgery. That's not gender-affirming to take a boy's penis and turn it into an artificial vagina. That's gender-denying. The problem is that I'm hearing from too many conservatives that it's not the government's place to make these decisions. Oh really? The government already outlaws child pornography, child abuse, child rape, and even child labor. 
The government has laws protecting children from smoking cigarettes or using other tobacco products or drinking or taking other drugs. It's already illegal in Ohio for a surgeon to operate on a child without parental consent. So what this law actually was about is protecting children from their psychotic parents that are using their children to push their own social agenda. So to say that we need to leave these decisions to the parents completely misses the point. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we're coming up to the tail end of the show here today. It's uh, Thursday, the 4th of January, 2024. So without any further ado, I just want to welcome back to Locked and Loaded to Mr. Tony Gosling. Tony is an investigative journalist and also a historian, and you can connect with him on social media on the X platform at Tony Gosling. Tony, uh, something that I think you want to discuss this morning that's uh, very relevant in the news is a lot of provocation going on at the moment, uh, provocative acts of war happening at the moment in Russia, in Syria, in Lebanon, and also in Iran. One in particular, if you, if you don't mind, that I want to focus in on is uh, a bomb attack that allegedly has killed uh, up to 84 people now in Iran. Uh, Iran's supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khomeini, has vowed harsh response to a bomb attack on crowds marking the anniversary of Qasem Soleimani's assassination by the US. So 84 people at least dead in this attack. Very, very uh, contentious issue. The assassination of Soleimani in January of 2022. You know, who is the finger of blame pointing at in this one and and, uh, what's the background behind it? Well, well, this is just the point, is where is the finger of blame? And uh, listening to the press last night and this morning, uh, they're even saying, oh, this is a rival group within Iran, uh, some kind of... And they're also saying it's ISIS. So, look, this is nothing to do... First of all, it's over 100 confirmed dead. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's not an alleged attack at all. It's a real attack that's uh, very much... It, this is in the pattern of the uh, Rammstein, which is in Germany, coordinated drone attacks that we've seen in, in uh, places like Yemen and Afghanistan, where you have what they call a double tap. So in other words, you have uh, one particularly horrendous terrorist bomb attack of whatever sort. And then as people are trying to uh, rescue the victims, save lives, uh, another one uh, to kill those people. So. Yeah. Uh, the th- this this is exactly the same sort of tactics as NATO and the United States have been using, you know, Obama and his famous kill list with these drones. Uh, obviously, the, the other thing to note is that we don't really know whether these are uh, bombs that were left by the side of the road or whether it is potentially even a, a you know it could could have come from a drone almost anywhere. Could it be a long range missile that's come in of, of some sort? Very difficult to tell these days. I mean, actually, a missile, you probably hear it, but 
you know, the, the, the point here is that these provocations that we've seen in the new year, where we had bo the Boxing Day attack uh, sinking a massive Russian uh, assault uh, vessel in Crimea, uh, that's a British Storm Shadow missiles that they're uh, using for that. And um, and also the the attack in Beirut by the Israelis. So we've got a kind of British, American, Israeli uh, three pronged in three different countries acts of war. Uh, so it, I mean, I get a slight feeling, a bit like nine eleven, when mm. when on uh, as as the twenty uh, uh, first century kicked off. This is an attempt to kind of define the 21st century with the 9-11, you know, horrific. Okay, it's a year after uh, the turn of the century. But, you know, the, with this sort of horrific uh, 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 self-attack, which is a let it happen on purpose, rather, I think, like the um, like these October the 7th attack by Hamas, uh, which Israel Israeli army stood down for seven hours that morning and allowed Hamas in, really. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty clear now. Uh, we're seeing, I think, an attempt to start a third world war by the West, by Britain, by the United States and Israel. And and, and this attack yesterday, uh, I mean, it even seems to have almost dropped off the news here now because there's been the Epstein release. And it could even be that that uh, is a deliberate sort of uh, cover to try and cover the um cover up the the news coverage of what we've seen so you know th this is this is a horrific and horrendous it is attack in 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 iran and but it's a, it's part of a wider pattern and of course all of these countries are now thinking okay we're going to hit back but where and it's an attempt to provoke a response uh, uh and uh, uh to start a, a potentially much much wider war than just what we've been seeing in gaza that's effectively Tony. Uh, what they were celebrating uh, was the, the the second anniversary of the death of uh, General uh, Qasem Soleimani. That was a, a drone strike attack that was uh, sanctioned by uh, the U.S. on Soleimani uh, two years ago, and uh, he was an Iranian general. But I think they actually killed him on Iraqi soil at an at an Iraqi airport. But back yeah, then, correct. I can remember it. Back then, I can remember Tony uh, when that actually happened. There was a huge amount of tension. I think his funeral. I think there was. So many people well over a million people attended his funeral and the tensions that that caused in the middle east at that time there was you know they, they were thinking could this be something that tips that area into full-blown war at the time it didn't quite happen back then but on this sensitive anniversary of that very sensitive assassination uh, of Trump's government at the time on Soleimani. Uh, I don't think it's by coincidence that they've now bombed or drone strike uh, the mourners there and resulting in over 100 deaths. There's no doubt about it. That's going to ratchet tension up even further in that area. Yeah, let's let's always, I think, a very important, uh, should we say, kind of journalistic trick to play, which the mainstream media never do is to think what if it happened to us so say there was a, a national hero not in this case killed by a terrorist but uh somebody like margaret thatcher's funeral uh and and there was a uh, a bomb attack on that funeral cortege uh, and then another if you, another attack which had killed you know hundreds of people possibly many of them senior army officers don't forget by the way that that uh, decades ago uh, there was a bomb attack on Iran, which killed most of the members of the cabinet. Uh, so, you know, these, these attacks on the Iranians have been going on ever since the 1979 revolution there. 
And uh, yeah, so think about what what if someone was to do this to us, what would be our response? What would we be thinking? Say if somebody was to uh, blow up one of the um, uh, embassies of one of our allies, say the Israeli embassy in London, and kill the ambassador, what would we be thinking about that? Uh, and uh, and say, for example, uh, in Devonport Dockyard, the um, HMS Queen Elizabeth sitting there. Actually, I don't think it is right there at the moment. But if if that was to be sunk uh, it, 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 in broad daylight, uh, unprovoked, uh, what would we be thinking about that? Uh, now, of course, the, the British like to, and the, the people at the Royal Institute for International Affairs and Chatham House like to think, uh, well, uh, actually, this is a proxy war. The Russians know they're not really fighting Ukraine. Ukraine cannot fight without enormous backing financially and weapons-wise from the NATO countries. So they know they're fighting NATO. Uh, and to use these British storm shadow missiles to sink. So, yeah, we, we would, of course, be responding uh, her, uh, with, with a maximum force, I would imagine, if those sort of things would ever happen to us. And yet we expect uh, the uh, the other side to suck it up. And I noticed Jonathan Cook, by the way, doing a, the piece about referring mainly to Gaza, but saying we, we seem to be now the bad guys, basically. Like uh, the the you know the, if we go back to World War Two and look at the maniacal power of Adolf Hitler attacking, wanting living room. Uh, Lebensraum, they called it in the 1930s, taking over Czechoslovakia, annexing and, and other countries. You know, this is exactly what the Israelis are doing actually now, uh, which is uh, taking over extra territory that isn't theirs. And they've been doing that ever since they were set up in 1948. So mm. the, the parallels should be obvious. We are now the evil empire. The Anglo-Zionist empire is the evil empire. And they're getting more and more aggressive uh, in 2024 because they can see their domestic power waning. Uh, that the people of the Western countries, uh, Britain, you know, Europeans, United States uh, are, and obviously Ukraine, <laughs> God, definitely, have uh, lost confidence in their leadership. Mm -hmm. The uh, important point as well that you brought up there, Tony, was that despite the, the severity of this attack and the scale of this attack and the, just the abject horror of this attack that's happened in Iran, there's very, very little to nothing being said about that or coverage of that in the mainstream media. Uh, just as we're coming up to time here, there's other attacks that are going on at the minute as war rages in Gaza. Israel is continued to campaign against the Syrian military and Hezbollah targets, sparking fears of a regional spillover there. So there's a lot going on. Uh, it's not behind the scenes. It's it's first and foremost for the people that are being affected by these attacks. But I think there's an attempt to bury uh, these type of incidents by the mainstream media by, for example, distracting with this Epstein revelation. And there is no real revelation anyway. The fact that Bill Clinton is John Doe 38, you know, that's probably the least best kept secret uh, of the last few years. But yet that's what's being dangled in front of people's noses to try and distract them from other more potentially uh, volatile and flowing things that are happening over in the Middle East at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the things we really strike. need to, uh, we need to understand, is really important to understand, is that this uh, new emergence of another, like a fourth Reich, is a yep. financial empire. This is yep. Goldman Sachs. 
I was just chatting to an Asian woman uh, over the Christmas break about the, uh, the the way that Goldman Sachs has been trying to basically privatise Malaysia, uh, and they've had to do so. There's a big scandal called the One MDB scandal over there. Uh, these financial institutions really do think they can own us, uh, basically, and they don't necessarily use tanks to do it. They will use hostile takeovers. They will buy up everything that they don't control. Uh, and that's the kind of cancer we're seeing eating away at the West. So it's not surprising that the people in this part of the world have had enough of their leaders. Uh, uh, I've done a book about the Fourth Reich, which is it examines the links between uh, the high command, Hitler's high command, and uh, Winston Churchill uh, as early as the middle of 1944, before the end of the Second World War. We were doing deals, and that million dollars or so of Nazi loot came this way uh, and, and was used as yeah. to do deals in exchange for um, uh, get to give Nazis safe passage after the war. That's the traitors of Arnhem. And it's about, a, you know, the traitors of a book. So anyway, yeah. uh, you know, I've written about this and I think I'm yeah. seeing it happen right in front of my face. We are. And you know what? The best we can do is just to keep bringing it in front of people's faces and keep it there and rather than letting it get buried. Uh, listen, I'd love to talk to you a little bit longer about this, but I'm about to get uh, cut off here. We're at the end of the show. It's 11 a.m. UK time. Thank you very much, Tony Gosling, for joining me again this morning. Hopefully, listeners, you had a good uh, time listening in. Stay tuned. James Freeman is on the way. I'm Rick Mon back again tomorrow at 9 a.m. UK time. Have a good day. Bye.